morning? Sounds like it's moving that way, which I guess if you're heading out of town is, is a bummer. But if you're here, then great. That's awesome. My, my kids were super excited about it this morning. I think my wife gets more excited about the snow than, than any of us. She's very all about it. Um, okay, well, it's good to be with you. Um, we, we have a little bit to get through um, and be able to talk about kind of where we're at. Uh, last week, Brett talked about... Um, how God gives us his presence and how his presence gives us this gift of peace and harmony in relationship. And a specific example he brought up was uh, walking through the garden and, and that relationship that exists and that perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, but also relationship with God the Father. And today we're going to talk about um, this relationship that we have one unto another. So uh, what I want to start off by thinking about today is, simply put, I would invite you to ponder a question, just on your own to think through this before we kind of get started. I want you to think of a time when you felt like you didn't belong. When you felt as a part of an outer group as opposed to an inner group. When you felt marginalized for whatever reason that may be. And I hope that we can all kind of pinpoint a specific situation where that took place, but also to think for ourselves and go, how does that feel to be on the outside? How does it feel to have lost a sense of belonging within a community? Or maybe you were invited to something and you, and you felt like it was going to be a great experience with friends and with community only to find out that you didn't really fit in for whatever reason that may be. The good news is the kingdom of God is full of such people that are marginalized by whatever reason but invited into a community But yet this idea of belonging has a profound impact on us as individuals, and we're going to get there uh, in just a little bit. Let's pray really quick. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us into a community, that we're not called to just exist between you and I, although that is um, our relationship between the two of us, Lord, you and us, and that mutuality that exists there is vital and important. We also recognize that the manifestation of that love and that relationship displays itself in community with one another. Um, and we pray for us, God, is just as you pray in the high priestly prayer, God, that prayer that we um, read at the start of the service, Jesus, that you would make us one as you are one. Lord, you exist in perfect community within your Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You invite us into that same sense of community amongst each other, Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would instill in us the value of each other, and also for us to see the value that this relationship has, and that we would be a community that is one, even as you are one, Jesus. We pray for those um, in Kentucky who have experienced tragedy through the tornadoes. God, we pray your mercy there. We pray your healing there. We pray your uh, manifestation of good works of the Spirit in your people in Kentucky. We also pray for our our good friend and brother, uh, Tim Keller, who's battling pancreatic cancer. God, we pray for him, God, that you would heal him, Jesus, and we thank you for his ministry that has brought so much fruit in our life, God. We welcome you into this time. We pray that you bless us, you inspire us, and you would challenge us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. In 2017, the Surgeon General of that time called the lack of belonging in society, a growing health epidemic. And he went on to state that the rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. And according to Barna Research, around a quarter of Americans who were recently surveyed stated that they frequently felt lonely or feel lonely 
meaning they often feel devoid of a meaningful, emotionally intimate relationship. Sociological researchers and educational researchers and medical experts are now realizing that we are experiencing a loneliness epidemic. And most of this information comes pre-COVID. One sociological and educational research site cites a former U.S. Attorney, or Surgeon General as saying, studies have shown that it, being loneliness, poses a greater health risk than obesity and is compared to smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. This loneliness has now gotten so bad that the UK recently instituted a minister of loneliness to address the growing threat to personal well-being. But how can this happen in a society that claims to be so interconnected? We're more digitally connected than we've ever been before and yet more profoundly lonely. And how are Jesus followers called to respond to it? One sociologist pointed to the issue of the, of the fact that individuals have a need to belong and that we emphasize conformity over belonging in our culture. And this idea is further illustrated by examining a well-known and much-talked-about theory of human motivation called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, and I want to this is a secular perspective on personal health. The idea that when you're the healthiest person, you've kind of built these steps into place to be a healthy individual. So you have a slide that shows us the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is, Michael made this. Isn't it great? Just kidding. He found it on Google. Uh, he told me that. It's okay. Um, and the idea is, and usually this is represented by a pyramid, right? And we have this idea in our culture that a pyramid, you work your way at the pyramid, you get to the top, and you're good. But what this actually indicates is that it's more progressive, it's situational. And by the way, this is a secular perspective. This is not necessarily a biblical perspective. But nonetheless, it illustrates a point to us that's really vital. And that is, we have basic biological needs that without those, we can't experience fullness. Food, shelter, clothing, those kinds of things. We don't have those pieces in place. It's hard for us to experience total well-being. But in the middle, as the third step, it talks about, quote-unquote, social activity. Or, as we would call it, Belonging. Maslow makes this argument that basically in order to be physically healthy, to be totally complete and healthy, to be able to be the best version of yourself, you need to belong. But we live in a culture that is increasingly becoming more lonely, meaning that we have a large portion of our population that can't reach their full potential because they don't belong or don't feel as though they belong. And so that's our, kind of our focus of today to emphasize this idea of belonging and how the community of Christ comes together and how this community and one another is a gift to each other. I don't know if you've been following. Last week, Brett talked about, okay, God gives us his presence. Today, we're gonna talk about how God gives us each other, for better or for worse, whether we like it or not, whether we have that weird aunt or uncle that likes to make really interesting statements around the dinner table or not. We're called into that community, okay? We're there. And some of our aunts and uncles are just, you know, people that are a part of our community, and that's cool, all right? But we have this interesting relationship that exists between the two of us and among us and together. So look with me in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Obviously, you guys were fresh off the book of Matthew, so this doesn't come as a shock to you, and it's a verse that I've emphasized over and over again um, as sort of a crux of Jesus' ministry 
He gets pressed by rabbis and teachers and Sadducees who come to him and say, listen, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him to test him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law or the greatest commandment in the law? Test him with the statement. Never test Jesus. Mistake, mistake. They should know that by now. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think we can put into that little space there before verse 38, this collective, hmm. Because when you agree with something, you kind of that like, hmm. You just had a really great cup of coffee. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, hmm, it's good, yeah. This is the first and greatest commandment. In verse 39, and the second is like it or can be compared to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, that second part would not have been received with as much collective acceptance. Does this imply that Jesus says we should love our neighbors in the same way that we care for ourselves? Is this supposed to imply some sort of self-love that we're supposed to do? Yes and no. But I like that he says is like it. It can be compared to it. It's similar to it. They're not two separate things. They're one in the same. They're connected and fused together such that you can't really do one without the other. And yet, we have this issue of loneliness and belonging. There's a significant part of our population that feels unloved. Flip with me to John 13, 35. We're going to hear this refrain again, the Gospel of John. Shout out to Nikki for reading that high priestly prayer. I think it's more confusing than reading John sometimes. You're like, what the heck are you talking about, man? Uh, when he had gone out, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glorify him at once. See what I'm saying? It's like, what are you, what's going on here? Little children. Yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have a love for one another. It's almost like our relationships matter. I know, watch, hold on, don't get too controversial up here. It's almost like how we relate to each other is an essential pillar of our foundation in Jesus. It almost matters how the community of Christ deals with issues and communication and flaws and mistakes. It's almost like it's vital to our human well-being. I wanted to find two key terms really quick that we're going to talk about as we talk about this idea of belonging and community and dignity. Um, and the two that I want to bring up are, one, just a simple idea of dignity. And we're going to kind of put a twist on it that's more within our creation aspect, creating God's image perspective. So the secular or like the human perspective of dignity is this. The state or quality of being worthy of honor and respect. It's ingrained in every single human being because you're a person, therefore you're entitled to dignity. Going one step further, human dignity, which is sort of like a Catholic perspective, says the recognition that human beings possess a special value intrinsic to their humanity and as such are worthy of respect simply because they are human beings. 
What's the argument being made there? If you're a human being, you're entitled to dignity. You're entitled to respect. You're entitled to be treated as a human. Within the, the gospel perspective, in other words, you're created in God's image, therefore you're worthy of being treated like you're made in God's image. And then the second thing I want to define for you is the idea of belonging. Belonging is an affinity or a liking for a space or situation. The sense of belonging, which we're going to talk more about today, is the feeling of security and support when there is acceptance, inclusion, and identity for members of a certain group. It's the ability to put yourself out there, be vulnerable, toss yourself on the net of someone to catch you and have them actually catch you. Nothing is worse than doing that trust fall exercise and the person just lets you fall. It's embarrassing for everybody at that point. We're like, not only do we not trust, but now I'm I'm on the ground and I'm hurt. Uh, But this idea of belonging means that we have to have, one, an ability to feel as though we can be vulnerable, while also being accepting of that vulnerability within our community. Now, there are two types of belonging. One is conditional, and one is just belonging. Okay, not unconditional belonging. Because I don't want to go into that room with like this like perfect idea where like you don't have to do anything, and it's like you know, you can be a part of it. Like if you're working in a job and you show up, you should still be able to keep your job because you have dignity. That doesn't make sense. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the community of Christ. So we can either have a, a community that's belonging, or is conditionally belonging. All right. So let's just go through what would be considered conditionally belonging. First thing would be conformity to a group over collective humanity. Individuality. Do we value the individual gifts? Because Paul would say in Corinthians that he gives the body as a unique group of people that all have different abilities and giftings that bring together the glory of God. Or do we just value conformity? Everybody's got to be the same, talk the same, act the same. That's what we're looking for. That's conditional. As soon as you step outside the group norm, you're not considered a part of the community anymore. This is a cultural part, right? You have to conform to some sort of social norm in order to be accepted. Two, labeling, which is basically an individual is something that they are not based on assumption. Labeling, you go, okay, this person is this because they said this on Facebook, therefore they are this. Common logic experience in our culture. There's a sociologist, Howard Backer, a sociologist coined the term labeling theory, which states that when we label people, we, according to the author, create insiders and outsiders and that shapes the identity and starts a fulfilling prophecy. For me as a teacher, if someone comes to me and says, hey, watch out for so-and-so, they're a bad kid. And I go, oh boy, they're in my class? Oh man, now I can't think of anything else. I could have 30 angels in my class, but I'm like, no, I got the one bad kid, all right? I know it's like, it's like a social faux pas to say that. I say that, and that's on purpose. People say that all the time in schools. Watch out for this kid, he's got a rough past. He's coming into your classroom, be careful. And all that does is make me think, oh my gosh, this kid is something other than the collective group. He's not a part of it. He's already not a part of it. So now I gotta figure out a way to bring them into the community. But if I'm told, if I'm told to teach everybody in my classroom, that doesn't work, right? So the idea of labeling makes this idea that if I say that somebody is something based upon a collective idea that I have, and I bundle all of their theories into cultural perspectives, then I just pigeonhole that person. It's conditional. That person is this because I have, I'm in charge and I can label them as such. This is terms like radical. This is terms like any sort of cultural buzzword we have out there right now. And it's dangerous. 
Third, dehumanization of individuals who disagree with our perspective. This is becoming more and more common in our culture. Uh, an author recently stated that dehumanizing people is simply a way to make your, yourself feel better about yourself. If someone disagrees with your perspective, you place them on a plane that is something other than human. You dehumanize them. And it's what people do in war. They dehumanize the enemy so that they don't feel as bad about their views and thoughts and actions towards them. But Jesus says, ah, we can't dehumanize each other. But a conditional belonging One of the aspects of that is dehumanizing. Someone disagrees with me, there's something other than a human being. Four, achievement as the basis for our value as opposed to our value being from our human dignity. This is is interesting within our culture and the pyramid idea of moving up the social ladder and if you achieve, then you belong. It's conditional. You have to actually meet up to these different standards in order to have belonging in the group. And this, unfortunately, I think is a part of our church culture. We have an achievement culture. Almost built this kind of weird pyramid within our church societies that goes, there's like the new Christians that are all, there's a lot of them. They're kind of down at the bottom of the pyramid. And then there's like the super elite Christians that have it like all together. And you can tell because their Instagram says they have it all together. (laughs) Like they're going to give all the advice You want to be like them. Not that that's wrong to happen, but the reality of it is our church culture is sometimes based around achievement. And that person really needs to get their stuff together. You need to get your stuff together before you come to church. You need to look the part when you come to church. No one can know that you are struggling as an individual because to struggle is to somehow not achieve. That's not the reality in the kingdom of God. But if the community buys into that idea, they say, okay, listen, you got to achieve, you got to stack up, you got to check the boxes, then you can be a part of the group. It's conditional. And finally, just to get a little controversial with all the millennials, swipe right culture, which most of you are like, what the heck are you talking about? Swipe right. Is that like a derogatory hand gesture? No. Okay. So swiping right is the freedom to opt out of a group or a relationship for superficial reasons. In other words, we swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, swipe left. I'm out. And it happens in our churches a lot. I like it. It's great. It's good. Uh, I didn't like that song. I'm going to go down the road. Next church. That's not belonging. That's conditional belonging. You want to be a part of a group as long as it does everything you want it to do. And so it's no surprise that churches become battlegrounds for things that it never was supposed to be a battleground for. We're supposed to be a battleground for the gospel and reaching people. Not a mechanism of some sort of political entity that desires to tear us apart and pushes to extremes. He says, no, that's conditional belonging. We can't operate that way. We can't just opt out when things become too hard or too difficult. Okay, so then what is belonging? Belonging would be this. Not conformity to a group over our collective humanity, but unity, but not sameness. It's something that Chuck Bomar talked about two weeks ago. When he says, we're not asking for everybody to look the same, talk the same, think the same. But we are asking for us to be unified together as one entity on one purpose. Two, being loved is the only label. Do we know that, that the, mo- the truest thing about us, if we can boil our life down to one true statement, is that everybody in this room is loved by God and everybody outside this room is loved by God? All the other stuff, this is whatever. The basic thing, the truest thing about you, the most factual element of who you are is that you are loved by God. 
And that can't go or ebb and flow based upon what you do. It can't be conditional. But being loved would be the only label. We don't decide who belongs. Jesus decides who belongs. And then three, we emphasize our human dignity as people who bear God's image. We don't dehumanize. Instead, we properly emphasize humanity. It's the idea that we don't preach against sexuality that's outside of God's perspective. Instead, we preach what is sexuality in God's perspective. We don't teach against these ideas. We teach what we're for and what we're about. We emphasize our human dignity. We, have, we reorient what it means to be a human being instead of seeking to dehumanize certain people because of their beliefs. Four, Instead of an achievement culture, we receive our value. This is from the great theologian Michael Watson, who told me this on the phone last night, maybe changed my notes around. He said this, we receive our value, not work for it. And there's anything that flies in the face of, of U.S., like just our American culture, it's that we don't achieve Christianity. doesn't matter how many books you read or how many times you read the Bible through, none of that really matters in the sense of your identity shifting or moving. Your identity is... Therefore, it's kind of like challenge by choice. Choose your own adventure. Remember those books? So great. You skip to the end, you're like, oh, I read the wrong ending, but that's fine. You have to realize that you receive that value. It's not conditional. You have it because you're a human being, because you're made in God's image. Therefore, you have that value. And then five, God establishes his church as a community with a covenant towards each other. Now, this isn't like some weird, like, cultish kind of thing where it's like, you're in a covenant, you can't leave. We know that that's not true. That's not what we're talking about. It's like some sort of weird blood oath where it's like everybody goes, all right, we're all part of the church, we're all members now, and now you can't leave, or we're gonna find you. We're gonna knock on your door and be like, hey, where you been? You haven't come to church. That's not the kind of covenant we're talking about. A covenant is an agreement between two individuals. We're committed to each other. Despite what happens and what decisions are made or what obstacles we have to overcome or whether there's disagreement or argument, we still say, hey, listen, we're in a covenant together. We're going to be with each other. I feel like it's sometimes the church just hasn't done a great job of representing that in a lot of ways. And our society certainly hasn't done that either. We go... And we think about the idea of it's not a covenant. In fact, it's all about decommitting in our culture. Find a way out of it. Like before we had cell phones, you made plans with somebody and you actually showed up to them. We're going to be at the movies at 9 o'clock. I'll see you there. And if you didn't show up, it was like, they're dead. <laughs> I have to quote Aziz Ansari there. That was not my own material. I'm just saying. The reality of it is we just opt out. Uh, I was supposed to serve in children's ministry, but I'll just tell them I'm sick. Brett laughed. That was good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but the reality of like, we just can opt out whenever we want. We don't have to be a part of a community. You can leave it. If your job's not going the way you want it, get out of it. If your marriage isn't working, just leave. If your kids are giving you grief, just sit them over somewhere else away from you and you do your own thing on your phone and the kids just do whatever. That doesn't, it doesn't work in the community of Christ. It's not a part of his identity. He says, listen, you gotta have a covenant towards each other. You gotta be there for each other. Oh, this person from my church just posted this really strange thing on Facebook. I don't know how I feel about them anymore. Well, too bad. You're in a covenant with them. Figure it out. 
love each other, care for each other, accept the fact that your views are your views, but the reality is we're unified in Christ. It's a gift to each other. The interesting part of this is that, and I thought this was interesting, the Pew Research Foundation stated that one in five Americans who say that they were lonely also meant they do not know who their neighbors are. Isn't that interesting? They literally don't know who their neighbors are. The person that lives like two feet away from you, that if your house is on fire, their house could also catch on fire. You have no idea who they are. Imagine the situation. Your house is on fire and you're like, hey, uh, Steve, get out, get out of your house. I don't know who you are. That would be a ridiculous thing. But think about that. People who are lonely also are like, I don't know who lives next door to me. No idea. So there's almost like there's a connection between loving your neighbor and not being lonely. A friendly person has many friends or whatever version of that quote we're using on this Sunday morning. Um, So, okay, we have this community. We're brought into it. And I think that sometimes we look at our community as a burden. It's too much. It's too heavy. It's too difficult. And I think sometimes you look at Christianity as like a burden. Just following Jesus is a burden. I gotta get up and I gotta read my Bible and I gotta do these sorts of things because who's, and who's gonna know if you didn't do it? Nobody's gonna know if you didn't do it. But in our mindset, we think that it's two steps forward, 10 steps back. That's kind of how it goes in our society. But in the church, it's a different perspective. Instead, the church is meant to be a gift. And a gift that you, from the outside, you're like, what the heck is this thing? This is strange. You guys all get together on Sunday mornings and you like get together with people and at a house and like eat a meal together like with other people? And you guys aren't all the same? Yeah. When you think about it from that perspective, it's kind of cool that God would offer that to us. And I want to say this, conditional belonging is, is not necessarily a bad thing if it's in the right context, right? It's not saying you, that if a relationship is difficult or abusive or in some way destructive to you as a person that you can't get out of it. That's not what we're saying here. We're not saying stay in a relationship that's horrible and horrifying to you because you're in a covenant. That's not what we're talking about. We're not, we're not saying that. There's a, person, there's a certain perspective where we have to go, listen, there's a safety aspect and conditional belonging can be, in some places, good. Think about in a job. You have an employee who doesn't show up on time. He, that, he or she cannot show up to that job and go, well, I've, I have dignity as a human being. You can't fire me. Well, that doesn't work in that perspective. So in some senses, it's not as though this is totally outlandish, but we're not talking about the world. And we're not talking about how the world functions. We're talking about how the church is supposed to function, how we're supposed to be. When a covenant is broken, it should break our heart. We find out somebody's hurting, we should find a way to partner with them through that. When someone experiences loss or death, we should rally around that individual instead of doing what most people do, which is kind of feel awkward about it, like, I don't know what to say or do. Just be there with them. And the value of that is just in that community. Not to have answers or ask the right questions. You just got to be with people. And I think about this from a long time ago, uh, like, like seven or eight years ago. That's not that long ago, but seven or eight years ago, um, when I was working at church and I was kind of like just going hard and working like 60-hour weeks and just kind of a crazy time and I wasn't really doing, wasn't really like in a healthy place. I remember my mom would always come up to visit me when I was in Eugene uh, and we would go to these restaurants. My mom kind of has like stomach, my mom had stomach issues and so 
She like couldn't eat the food that I like to eat, like all the great like organic, nutritious, like delicious food. She couldn't eat that, but she would still go with me to the restaurants and hang out with me. Um, and I was so busy that it was literally like, you know, we'd meet for like 10 minutes and I would go back to work. And so that Christmas came around and I just was completely in the blur and didn't realize it was Christmas. And I just didn't like ask for anything for Christmas, not because I'm super noble, but because I just forgot it was Christmas. So I didn't ask for anything. And under the tree that year, there were these five little bags, little like tiny little gift bags. And inside of each one was a gift card to every restaurant my mom and I had gone to like 25 bucks. And I was like a poor pastor. So I was like, sweet, 25 bucks. This is like a million dollars to me. And then there was a little token inside that represented that restaurant. So there's a little, we went to Laughing Planet. Laughing Planet was all those dinosaurs on the table. And so she, my mom gave me like a tiny little dinosaur in the bag. And, uh, or we went to Hawaiian time when I worked there and she got me like sunblock in a tube and put it in there, you know. And on the surface, you're like, it's kind of an underwhelming gift. But once I opened it up, I was like, whoa. This is incredible. Still the best Christmas gift I've ever gotten because it was so thoughtful, so meaningful, so valuable. But yeah, from the outside, it was like, what are we doing here? And so I think it is in the community of Christ. From the outside, it kind of has a weird vibe. It's an interesting group of people. And society looks at it and it goes, that person goes to church, but they just said this, and then they're doing this, and I don't know what, that's weird. But the community of Christ, once you open it up and look at the deeper meaning of it, you're like, wow, this is a really interesting thing. How is this be this perfect gift for each other? I'm going to close by just um, giving a few things to think about this week as we go about our time and thinking about these different ideas about belonging. I want to uh, just give us some quick things we can do this week. Now, the holidays are a very fascinating time because there's this celebration, the music on the radio is great, and it's snowing, and everybody's like, Joy to the world. And they're like yelling at their kids in Walmart, you know. It's like, joy to the world. You just, you just be quiet. Uh, and I think about this the other day. I was like driving in my car in the van with the kids. And my wife and I are driving. And like all the cool Christmas music is playing on the radio. And it's like so sweet. And then my kids are in the back screaming at each other. Throwing cars. Food's flying all over the place back there. And I'm just like, this is, this is Christmas. You're like... In one sense, it's like, this is good, it's joy of the world, and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, and behind my kids are losing it. And it's like, all right, this is a funny, like, juxtaposition. But for some of you, Christmas carries with it a, a, a kind of a mixed bag. Um, holidays are really tough when your family's not together, right? If, if your family's not around or you can't be with your family, holidays are tough. Maybe you've lost somebody recently or lost somebody in the last couple years, and holidays kind of stir up that time when it's difficult to be without that person. It's a great time to come together. Or maybe you're just like, oh my gosh, I sent out this invite that was like, everybody come to our house for Christmas. And then you're like, the only people that RSVP'd were like, the people you're hoping wouldn't show up for Christmas. And you're like, oh no, now I gotta figure out this and I gotta take down all these pictures and all these slogans so that they don't think that I'm a certain way or not or whatever. And uh, so Christmas is kind of like a mixed bag like that. But nonetheless, I think it's a great time to kind of test out what it means to create a a culture of belonging, especially when you're around people who challenge you because that's part of loving Jesus is being with challenging people and loving them, all right? Jesus certainly exemplified that. Uh, Psalm 68.6 brings to mind this idea of this unity, and I just wanted to read it really quick before we close. 68.6. God settles the solitary in a home 
I think the NIV says it takes the loneliness and brings them, the lonely and brings them into a family. Isn't that cool that God takes people that are on the outside, the marginalized, and brings them into a family, united in Christ? So for us, what do we do with that? One, when you're in a conversation with someone who doesn't share your views, ask more questions. Be curious. Conflict is not wrong, but much of our conflict is based on visceral, emotionally charged language. One author states, argue as if you're right, listen as if you're wrong. When you sit around the table and someone says something that you're like, "Uh uh-oh, ask a question. Don't seek out conflict. Try to find a common ground. But we do a lot of talking in our culture and not a lot of asking of questions. Can we model as a society, as a culture within the church to ask more questions? Two, consider in this season where God has called you to give, not necessarily to the church. We're not saying we're not going to be like pass around the plate and everybody give. We're going to say to your neighbor, to, your, to a family in need, or a person who is standing on 97 by Trader Joe's. Some of us in this congregation could build a well in Africa for a whole village with a small fraction of our savings account. Just saying. Can we consider where God has called us to give in a season that's more, oftentimes more about consumption than it is about giving. Three, can we display the reality of inner love and care you have for someone through an act of ser- service simply by saying what you know to be true in your heart? In other words, if you really love somebody, why don't you tell them you love them? Think about that. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. I say, well, honey, I, I love you. She's like, but like, you, I don't, don't say it, you know? I'm like, I, it's obvious I'm here. But the reality of it is, to say it has meaning. So to find that value to be like, I want to be somebody who when my kids come home, like, or when I come home to my kids, they know that I love them. I would love for them to know that I've had a stressful day, that I'm tired, that I'm exhausted, that I could use three more cups of coffee, and then I could have some fun with them. But the reality of it is, the first thing I want them to know is that I love them. You tell them that more often. You're around your family this season, Tell them you love them. Be vocal about that. Practice that. Four, practice Advent conspiracy, which is where you give instead of receiving gifts. What you would spend on gifts, you give away. To a charitable organization or somebody in need. Or five, simply treat other people with dignity. That is, value them as human beings made in God's image. Not as a label or something subhuman or anything else. Value them in the same way you value yourself. Listen, Jesus' greatest commandment intertwines our worship with God and our relationship with people together. You cannot do one without the other. You can't love people truly without God, and you can't truly love God if you don't love people. So the least we could do is here in our community seek to do that in a much better way than the world does it. Uh, Louis Zamperini, he was a World War II hero. He's the title of, he's the uh, author, or not the author, but the subject of a book called Unbroken. Or, yeah, I'm broken, yeah. Um, goes through internment camps, gets stranded at sea. He's like adrift for 40 days in the raft. He's being attacked by sharks. He's being shot at. He's in an internment camp for two weeks in Japan. He's being beaten. He's not given any food. He has chronic dysentery. Why do I tell you all of this? I thought it was supposed to be the closing of the sermon. Here we are again, more depressing stuff. He says this. 
He said this, and his, his biographer said this. He said, listen, what almost broke me was not the lack of food. It was not the, how far off from rescue I was. It was that I felt like I didn't have any dignity. I had lost the value of being human. And in the eyes of my captor, I was something other than human. He says, that's what almost broke me. And his, the author of his book says this, dignity is, an, is essential to human life as water, food, and oxygen. The stubborn retention of it, even in the face of extreme physical hardship, can hold a man's soul in his body long past the point at which the body should have surrendered it. The loss of it can carry a man off as surely as thirst, hunger, exposure, asphyxiation, and with greater cruelty. Our culture does a great job of painting people as something other than human for the benefit of their argument. And when you treat somebody without dignity, you are doing extreme harm to them. To treat somebody as something other than a human being made in God's image is devastating to their well-being. My encouragement to you and my call for you as a church is to accept the gift of the people that you have in your life. I know there's challenges there. I know there's nuances there. It's not a generalizing principle for everybody in this room who has difficulties. I know it's hard. I'm not asking you to sell your soul to somebody. I'm not asking you to sign up for an abusive or a harmful relationship. But what I am saying is when we think about other people, can we stop and think about the fact that God has fused our relationship with him with each other? And when we treat somebody as other than that, it's devastating. It's harmful. It's degrading. Tell somebody in your family that you love them. Care for them. Serve them. Find your identity in that and be a community, a people of God that emphasizes belonging, not conditional belonging. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that you've called us into your family. That, God, you make us into a unique community of people from the outside. Yeah, it looks like foolishness that we would give up a couple hours on a Sunday morning to hear someone talk and sing songs together. And yet, in your mind, it's powerful, it's meaningful, it's strengthening, it's bonding. And so, God, I pray for us that we would be, as our church, we'd be a community of love and grace towards each other and accept the beautiful gift of who you are in this season, you coming to earth, you being in relationship with us, you giving us each other as a gift. We would rejoice in that and find great hope in that while also acknowledging the responsibility of stewarding that. Jesus, make us one as you are one. Unite us together now in worship that we would be a people that desire your heart for each other, for ourselves, and for our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.